0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Abram Kibalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, I'm not going to say clear the aisles. I'm going to say in a couple minutes. Uh, just two little points. Uh, you'll hear what this conversation is about and how I think important it is about the power of film, the, uh, the not forgetting about... What film can do, and how the and in the Weimar Republic and and throughout the Nazi era, how good people, decent people, regular people could be affected and be turned into willing executioners. And this is a very uh, heady topic, especially uh, as as we approach Purim. I just want to point out something which I didn't realize when we were recording this was that the One of the actors in the first film that I'm mentioning, um, Peter Van Eck, is actually uh, had a very strong connection with the in the second film that I mentioned the film Cabaret, which is based on the life of Jean Ross. They call her Sally Bowles, and that was Christopher Wood had, had changed things but the the fellow that she was involved in who was the father of the child that eventually has the abortion, was probably Peter Van Eck who was the actor in this film, Address Unknown. So how it, it's, it's really fascinating how small and tenuous everything really is. Um, I also just want to mention that what I forgot to say in our conversation was when I saw this film when I was 12, and I mentioned how how confused and sort of moved I was at the same time, uh, there was a song that doesn't take place in the Kit Kat Club, but a song that takes place in a, in a beautifully sunlit, German beer garden, where um, and the song is a "Tomorrow Belongs to Me," and I remember as a twelve-year-old hearing this song and seeing that the people that were singing it in such strident, strong voices were young Aryans, these Germans. Uh, s- some of them wearing the swastika; others actually being brought into it. And uh, it was a it it, sh- it really shook me to my core, um, and because of the the, the pride the the sense that by uh, uh, marching forth through what they considered was their heritage what they considered was what they deserved that tomorrow belongs to them they might not have the past but the glorious future and how if you, you see in this film uh, it's worth just watching that clip to realize how people can be stoked and we see it of course today on in, in many ways whether it's the Pride of the Russian people that Vladimir Putin is trying um, to generate, and we see how powerful a force that can be. And um, the song, which was not—I remember when I saw it, I thought, "Oh, that may, maybe that was a Nazi song that 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 they had actually dug up." It was actually it was written by Kander and Ebb, the two Jewish song, you know, the two songwriters. Um, but has actually, unfortunately, become a song that a lot of right-wing neo-Nazi groups even here in North America, use that song as as, as their theme song, uh, something that, once again, uh, when we look at that power of, of what film, what music has, and how we have to be so careful about not being caught up in it, but actually um, recognizing to be critical, and hopefully uh, this conversation uh, will help you with that. So get ready for the sticker ride's about to come. Be well. Clear the aisles, the projectionist. That's Micha. Huh? Hi, I'm here with Yitzhak Kolakowski It's Purim Eve. And, um, you know, we're not going to talk about Purim movies. <laughs> I know there's a couple of them the story of Esther and, you know, maybe a Veggie Tales. No, no. Purim, we're not talking about Purim. Uh, however,
1: so uh, not, not best of What was the other one that? Uh, uh,
0: Meg, uh, was something with the Christopher Guest and. Yeah, and yeah, uh, Christopher
1: Guest the one movie yes yes called, i know
0: uh, where they were doing some sort of purim story of purim yeah look, look uh, the most goish of purim that I- <laughs> <laughs> well look here's where i want to come in on, on this and, and I, I guess you know um you know we talk about amalek we talk about uh, the idea of the insidiousness the evil that a whole people can be seen as an enemy that should be exterminated and had things not changed, it seems like indeed solid citizens, good, normal people would have been turned into monstrous killers, viewing the, the Jews, view, viewing the Bnei Yisrael as less than human and would go out there. In fact, as we know, the story of Purim indicates, it's of course, that there was a war and there were people out there. There were 75,000 uh, victims, uh, victims 75,000 people who died. Uh, trying to kill Jews, and there was probably more that joined them. And when we think about this, obviously the most um, obvious parallel and reference that we have is, of course, from seventy years ago, eighty years ago, um, the the rise of of Adolf Hitler, the rise of the Nazi, the third, the, the and the and the Third Reich, where one of the most civilized and forward looking countries, a, a country that was, in many ways, you know, although it had a I guess, uh, a troubled past, but in, in many ways, people saw them as the leaders, the leaders in innovation, the leaders in, uh, in, in, in openness and in, in terms of the the Belle lettres and various other artists and, and, and writers. And of course, many Jews who had become, who had, who had risen very high in, uh, in German society. And yet we know that that society um, quickly, although there were exceptions, the fascist Nazi ideology and Jew hatred became part and parcel of the German perspective the Nazi perspective that took hold and as we know infected not only Germany but also other countries that Germany invaded and controlled and and and, and basically stoked uh that latent antisemitism into much more than just you know uh, a, a pogrom or two but actually into a organized plan of extermination so i want to really talk really about
1: i mean the the idea of anti-semitism at all was was a german idea meaning
0: before that
1: before before i'm not only a nazi idea but it was a german idea that that was around for at least 50 years before that to say that the jews were a race as opposed to being a religion
0: you're correct The, the, the 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 basis for uh what eventually became the hitler killing machine was set in place by the racist theories, uh, even, like you say, the titles of Semite, anti-Semite, Aryan, all of that really, you know, became the justification for what turned out to be the greatest...
1: And and predated the Nazis. That's... uh...
0: No, yes, yes. I wasn't saying yes. We, we realized that there were, uh, you, you know, throughout Eastern Europe, but even in Western even in Germany, of course, the look, if, if, we, if we're going to go back into the ugly history of, of Christianity, I mean, we're going to find uh, yeah, many, but, many. But,
1: but that's my point. My, what I'm saying is that the, 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 the Christian view was that if the Jew only converted, it, they, then he could, he could be saved. But the... Right. the German secular view was that no, the Jew is, is the right. Avid the, the viewed, Jew, the yes. eternal Jew. He can never, he can never stop being this Jew, and it's and it's something that has to be wiped out uh, because of who they are, not just because of what they believe or what they do. Yes, so it's, yes, you your correct. Cur- yeah. the ideology.
0: Yes. Now, when we now the, obviously this this program is not really about history. And not really about Judaism, although we both have smicha. What this is about is about the movies and vintage vintage TV. Now, we know that Hollywood continues to go back to World War II, um, and there have been very impressive films, even very recently, uh, about that war and about things that occurred there. And, of course, there have been films that have actually taken us into the concentration camps as well, Schindler's List and others, which... um, you know, we're not going to talk about. But Hollywood has also um, attempted, and they have done a number of films that have talked about how Nazism um, has taken o- how t- how it took over how a seemingly banal sort of pariv, of, as we would say in in in, in our language, uh, community could turn into um, willing, not only. Um, uh, stand to watching death, but actually participate and get involved in giving Jews over to death. Um, and there have been films in, 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 in Hollywood that have, I think, directed themselves towards that. And some of them, I think, are, are, are worthwhile. And I think it's worthwhile, not just as a, a history piece, but also, I think, to teach us, uh, to warn us about how, you know, the movies has a great power of Capturing our imagination and placing us, you know, into the life of the of those main characters and seeing how those forces act upon you and say, "Hmm, that could have been me. Would I have acted that way?" Now, now, I have to tell you that 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 we Yitzchok, and I, that's the way I feel. You know, I I always feel that when I see these movies that are anti-Nazi, uh, and or in a way, or a, a, a warning to how Nazism can rise. Um, I almost feel like this is for the non-Jew to to see. Um, that's part of me because you know you're not going to be able to get what it really means to to be considered hated as a Jew. Um, but I think there's probably a benefit for the for us as well. So I, I think the films I want to talk about are films that I think could give us uh, can can give us a lesson um, and perhaps be of a benefit. Uh, not just saying hey, this is a movie that the non-Jewish world should see. So we should not. Should we, There shouldn't hit shouldn't rise again. There shouldn't be neo-Nazism, and, and we shouldn't arise. These are actually films that I think are instructive about what occurred, but also I think um, can give us some some lesson uh, to it. So I want to start with a film uh, that is sometimes overlooked. You know, I, I, you know, when we talk about films that that, that deal with this, uh, and this was a, a film called Address Unknown. It was um, from 1944. Uh, I, I remember seeing a review about this film saying, you know, it's too late, <laughs> because by the time the film came out, um, the, the Nazi death machine had, had already obliterated so much of of Europe European Jewry. But it was a unique film in the time. Um, you know, many films, you know, were trying to build patriotism. We've talked about that, but this was a film that really addressed, ex, you know, particularly uh, anti Semitism and how Jews were hunted and were treated in Nazi Germany. And the film is about, uh, it actually stars uh, the year 1943's Academy Award winner, uh, Paul Lukash who is a Hungarian Jew uh, who, who won the, the Oscar uh, for, um, uh, for his lead role in Watch on the Rhine, which you might know was a film that was a, a, an adaptation of uh, Lillian Hellman's play, uh, uh, about a person who was, uh, you know, a, a German refugee, I think Hungarian refugee who was uh, who was f- uh, fighting against the Nazis, And um, there was a Hungarian fellow who was going to, uh, you know, snitch on him and how he was going to go back to, uh, you know, to, to go fight. Um, again, I haven't seen Watch on the Rhine in, in many, many years. But Lukash was sort of known to be, you know, he made his mark, as, you know, I'm, I'm against the Nazis. So it's interesting that this film, he was actually, although it's an anti-Nazi film, he is actually the character who is, who, who actually becomes affected by uh, the Nazi allure. Uh, it starts off in San Francisco of all places, where um, two immigrants, uh, Lukash and uh, a, an act, uh, Max, who is uh, played by um, Morris Karnofsky, uh, who's was played in a lot, a lot of films. Um, are Are partners uh, in a art dealing business, and as since all the great works of art, although you have rich people in in California and other places that are going to pay big money, but those pieces of art are primarily in Europe, and therefore it makes sense that um, uh, Mr. Schultz, who is the uh, who is Lucas's character, uh, should go back to Germany. Uh, in order to procure more art pieces, in order for their uh, partnership to still thrive, and eventually he'll come back to the good old United States, which has you know this where you can see these immigrants, a German and a Jew, can become good friends, even to the point um, that uh, um, uh, you know the character played, you know Morris uh, Karnowsky plays the character named as Max Eisenstein. Max Eisenstein's daughter, uh, Grizel, is engaged. To actually Martin Schultz Lukas's son, uh, who is played by uh, Peter van Eyck, I guess a Dutch or German actor, I'm not sure, uh, who was also had come, uh, who had immigrated to the United States to make and, and had gotten to Hollywood to make this make this film. So what happens is is that um, you know in, as good friends, uh, uh, you know uh, Grizel thinks that Germany is such a hot spot. For being an actress and getting into theater and film, which you know Germany was considered uh, a very haughty co- culture in terms of where it was going. so it made sense for her to go back there, uh, sort of under the uh, guardianship of Schultz, who knew that, they, that, the, that the younger youngsters were lovers and would probably be married soon. Unfortunately, when he goes back there with his wife and young children. Uh, Paul Lukas playing Martin Schultz, realizes uh how Germany has changed and how it's clear that um, so much of the change is the attitude towards the Jew and how Germany's greatness is dependent on um, eliminating the Jew from German life to the point of putting him in concentration camps and extermination and you know the film you know clearly indicates that um now w- when he realizes that first of all it's good business but then he somehow becomes he succumbs to the allure of the idea and he realizes though he had lived in the united states that he was inherently a german and as a german he should buy in to um the patriotic ideas that uh, hitler is promising and that the country is now going to be on the rise and will finally achieve the role that it was destined for and this causes Luke, this causes Schultz uh, to sever ties with his former partner, who is with, by the way, <laughs> I forgot it to mention before, who's with his son. <laughs> in other words, they're sort of switched, you know, uh, the, you know uh, Max sends his daughter and he leaves his son. So you have, you know, some cutting a little bit from San Francisco to obviously was filmed in, 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 you know, in the back lot on, um, you know, in Columbia. Um, and, and I should say, by the way, the filming and the imagery um, is, is was probably one of the most startling um, uh, art direction, uh, and 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 the it is so beautifully shot by William Cameron Menzies, which I know Yitzchuk, you're quite familiar with his career. He was a um, very you know very well known as a art director. Um, and um, he made a number of B horror films as well <laughs> that you're aware of. But this is a film that that, that when you see the um, how, how stark the images are, um, the the setting, um, the, the way he shoots, uh, the angles that he shoots things in, it really is very brooding, and you really get the sense of descending into a nightmarish type of world uh, when you're in Germany. Um, anyway, what happens is, of course, is is that um, uh Schultz uh, becomes more and more not only doing it for business, but actually believing it. And after he cuts ties with um, his friend in San Francisco, um, we pick up the story of what, what should have been his daughter-in-law to be, who is discovering that um, when she's trying to break into the German theater... That uh, uh, some play I forgot which what the play is because it's been a couple of years since I've seen the film, but you know she wanted to uh, uh, invoke uh, Jesus's words, "Blessed are the peacekeepers." And the Nazi censors who are censoring all types of art in this new world uh, won't allow her to say it, and you know in, in an act of bravery, and she's played by uh, Kt Stevens. Uh, which was actually not her name. She was actually Sam Wood, uh, the, the the famous director. Sam Wood it was his daughter. Um, and she just sort of like um, Nicolas Cage, who didn't want to bank on his, you know, his father Francis Ford Coppola. Um, she decided she was not going to call herself uh, Catherine Wood or. Whatever her, her real name was, she wanted to have a complete stage name that people shouldn't give her jobs, just because of, I think people gave her jobs anyway because they knew who she was. Um, she wasn't actually a you know any big superstar. Uh, she she played a number of she had a number of uh, she had some roles in in, in Hollywood. But I think this is probably her in my mind the, the role that probably stands out most in her film career. Yeah, I, I might be you know dismissing uh, her significance a little bit. But in this role, uh, she looks very stark and and she looks and in and, and her courage. Um, she comes out and says, no, she is going to say those lines. She is going to uh, say that old Jewish rabbis lies, uh, Jesus's lies in this film. And that causes the censor to um, point at her. And to stop the presentation and to say, tell you what our name, tell, what is your name? Your name is not Stone. What is your real name? And she needs to admit that she's a Jew, that she, her name is Eisenstein, and that she's a Jew. And suddenly the whole crowd that had, you know, had come to see this uplifting play turns against her and a whole you can imagine that the people in the theater are seeing this because here you have a play within a movie and everybody gets up out of their seats and they scream Yulden, and yuld and 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 she runs out of the somehow she escapes uh this mob and she she finds herself running to the only friend she thinks she has which is schultz you know who's who's sort of like you know her father-in-law to be somehow she makes it you know again the, the film doesn't you know go through what her her, her escape but she ends up somehow at the, this big huge mansion that that schultz is living in now and uh as an art dealer and uh when she comes to the door begging he closes the door on her he won't let her in and you can see as the uh as the approaching mob ready to kill her uh actually do that they don't see her death but you realize how when that door closes how evil he has become how self-centered and evil what he's willing to do now he 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 writes a letter back to his son and of course his his old his ex-friend to say that she has died and that's all the letter doesn't explain how i mean you know he he felt that he had to do that and after that the the film sort of becomes sort of a weird mystery because although he has told uh his friend his erstwhile friend Max don't write him anymore we're no longer friends i'm not going to deal with you letters still keep on coming to uh to uh to Schultz letters still keep on coming and of course uh, in this society as the movie points out there's no all your letters are opened up and and the Germans are opening all his mail, and the letters are coming from the United States, and the letters are written in code. They don't seem to be actual ideas, which gives the impression that he is a spy. And um, eventually, these letters, uh, you, know, you know, keep on coming back. Uh, these letters keep on coming. The Germans warn him that 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 he is under suspicion, and um, eventually uh he sends his family away since he realizes that he is soon the the uh, he is going to be um attacked he is going to be singled out they're coming for him and although his family seems to escape to 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 switzerland he he does not have that fate happen to him and um yeah, i guess in some act of nobility he he goes down um to sort of face the Gestapo that are coming for him. Um, And he has no idea, you know, he he believes it's, in some way, he thinks it's his old friend Max who's sending the letters, but as the very end of the film tells us that, that it actually, Max had stopped sending letters. The film indicates that the letters were actually sent by his own son, who recognized what his father had become, the oldest son, and knew that this was a way that he could Get his revenge on him, and that's why the letters co- eventually, <laughs> when it's clear that Max has been has been killed by the Gestapo, uh, by the Nazi police, um, his letters come back with, you know, uh, you know, they come back saying, you know, address unknown, because we we can't find him anymore, and that's what happens to the person who gets sucked into the Nazi world, and the son. You know, I guess the, I guess the last I forgot, you know, I, I, it's not clear to me. But I think one of the last shots in the film is the son's satisfaction. You know, although Max is, you know, the Jew is sort of sort of surprised about what went on. I don't know what's happening here. You know, of course, he's mourning the death of his of his of his daughter, but the satisfaction of of his own son that he has somehow been able to you know, bring his father to justice. Uh, for what has become. So this is a film that I think has been overlooked, but I think it, it, it does it, it. It doesn't perhaps capture what Germany really was like, but I think it's a an interesting film about how uh, uh, people want to go with the winner, how easy it is to justify your hatreds and especially your your self interests, and how you can find yourself turning on a dime. And be, you know, you know, I think as Moshe Weinstein um, has said in his Drash Moshe. Um, part of why we remember Amalek is to realize how human beings motivated by you know, desires can turn themselves into these type of monstrous people. And that's part of what I think this film indicates from 1944. Yitzhak, I know you have a, a, a um, another sort of warning tale for us as well.
1: Well, well, you know, I wanted to comment a little bit, even though I haven't seen this film it's fascinating that as you you mentioned that here this jewish character is exposed by quoting christian scripture which is it would seem to be a non-sequitur and even offensive to us but it it historically again even though we said this isn't really a history lesson although it's kind of leading to what i'm going to discuss was that Hitler, even though he, you know, he he uh, worked with some uh, members of the church and also fought against others, his ideology was something that he called, uh, in the sense of what how we understand, a, you know, a positive commandment and a negative commandment, a mitzvah He had something that he called positive Christianity meaning he he was, he was didn't have a problem with all the ceremony and, and perhaps the pomp and circumstance of the church, but he wanted to get rid of all the negative aspects of the church, the thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, or thou shalt not murder, however when it was, thou shalt not commit adultery, all the thou shalt nots. He wanted to get rid of and only have a cultural type of a religion as opposed to one that had any obligations to hold oneself back. And so, therefore, it was that would have been an accurate aspect. Of, you know, even though, as you said, you were, you're not sure how accurate of a portrayal of what Nazi Germany was like. That one aspect of try of of uh, trying to censor, uh, even uh, even to censor the scripture itself, uh, the Christian scripture that that was indeed really part of the Nazi ideology and sort of pseudo theology that was, that, that was developed in Nazi Germany. Because
0: because in a way, right. It's they you know, Hitler couldn't come out and ban religion. He really needed, you know, uh, he needed good Christians. Uh, He needed those good uh, Christian soldiers to be part of of his ranks and well i
1: wouldn't wouldn't say good christians but what i would say you know what
0: i mean i i I,
1: to reinvent the church they they wanted to remove really the the jew the there's often a discussion is it proper to use a term judeo-christian ethic but that was certainly that idea was something that they wanted to remove they didn't want an ethic they didn't want anything that was judeo-christian they wanted something that was only christian and not judeo-christian which really is not really christian you know you ask someone like i don't know uh in texas there's the one big preacher he says you know judaism is totally fine without christianity but christianity can't exist without judaism and for for hitler to try to create uh john Hagee is the pastor and for hitler to try to create a non-jewish christianity it was really a, a a conflict in terms and i think that that scene in the film that you're describing really brings that out that here you have a jewish person quoting a christian scripture uh you know making that point and that and i her so. to be the jew so it's, i think that's a very powerful statement there and even though again it may it's uncomfortable for us as as orthodox jews certainly but it's it, it the the symbolism of that of that particular scene uh the way that you're describing it again i've never i never even heard of this film before you told me about it uh really is quite incredible and and really makes a a, a really strong statement about uh, you know how things can be corrupted how the most sacred things can be you know i know uh, dennis prager often says the whole idea of taking god's name in vain is to do something in the name of religion that's totally antithetical to everything that religion stands for and that's really you know what what the nazis you know accomplished whether they you know they they was often discussion back and forth do they do they want to maintain this christian identity do they want to uh, go back to some kind of an ancient norse identity right. There's a lot of Jungian archetypal issues uh, back and forth but uh what what i wanted to talk about i i kind of alluded to it when i said so before Nazi, you before, before you begin yeah.
0: i i also want to point out uh, on the heels of what you're saying um, that this film owes a lot to, you know, the German expressionist films that were so dominant in the silent era. Um, there is a lot of, a lot of know, which were made by Jews, also. Yeah, <laughs> right. William Cameron Menzies, um, and, and you can see that it, it really, uh, it, in many ways, you you could you could probably shut the, you could probably shut down you know, your your volume on this film and still really appreciate just the, like, like the imagery, which I think really owes a lot to, to, you know, the, the Germanic perspective. Um, again, you know, <laughs> this is definitely this film I'm sure was never shown uh, in Nazi uh, Germany, but uh, I, I think it's definitely worth a watch um, and uh, go ahead. But you, 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 you wanted I mean, men, to recommend. men
1: And uh, not something you can recommend, but rather a, a... More of a stark warning, but you know, Menzies was was a master of of the visual aspect of film. I mean, the probably from the you mentioned his science fiction work, The Invaders from Mars is is a very well respected you know science fiction film. Even though it, it turns out, I don't want to give away the, the end, but it turns out to be a dream in the end, which is kind of a cliche. But, but beyond that, the, the visuals in that film are really very strong and, and really quite stirring and, and shocking, uh, you know, certainly for 1953. Uh, what I wanted to talk about, though, is, is the power of film, the power of propaganda. Uh, as I, you know, I, I alluded it to it twice, once in, in referencing this passion play that a Holocaust survivor mentioned to me that I uh, was not really too aware of, uh, other than, his mention of this film and and how it you know how uh, the this the the trauma in his own life experiencing you know a pogrom firsthand uh, that was uh, that was uh, stirred up by by a film and the power of film not only to be a positive force in the world but of course uh maybe even more often than not the negative power of film uh that that exists in the world uh that's uh, you know something of the carriers of a that 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 you know exists in the world that's very dangerous and damaging uh is the the Nazi propaganda film industry that they used film you know since there was a strong Uh, a a strong heritage of film even in those relatively early days of of the film industry in germany uh they they made a lot of propaganda films as we we made our propaganda films which were you know uh, rather benign and you know there were certainly a lot of you know occasionally these negative stereotypes of the japs and this and that that appeared in our propaganda films, but for the most part, it was nothing uh, to be compared to the really horrific use of film by the Nazis. So certainly I'm not recommending these films uh, to enjoy, but there was a a controversy that came up very recently that a rather prominent Orthodox Jewish politician uh, took Amazon Prime to task as to whether or not it was appropriate for them to have... Uh, Nazi propaganda films on their platform streaming. I think his main issue was that they're. I guess they're making some kind of a profit off of this, as opposed to these films are in the public domain. They have been available, rather widely available for some time for people who are interested in them for scholarly reasons. And the question is, is it worthwhile for us to be familiar with this, to know the the uh, as as scholars and and as historians of the Holocaust. To be aware of the use of film and the danger, uh, the power that media has to change people's minds, to affect the way people look at the world. And so, I, again, I alluded to it by mentioning that the the German ideology of the Eiviger Jude, the, the eternal Jew, and that was the name of probably one of the most notorious of the uh, anti-Semitic Nazi uh, propaganda films. Uh, was the 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 eternal jew and i I remember seeing this film a number of years ago i'm pretty sure it's on on youtube if i'm not mistaken uh is where i think i saw it and this film it's it's an extremely disturbing film because of how you know the the Jew is pre- presented. Oh yes,
0: yes, it's one of the most. It's the, the, the clips from that film, Yitzchok, are, are are very prominent, and people have seen, especially as they um, um, you know, they have the uh, the fade into rats, right? The Jew is the shadowy Jew, like you you could somehow see him, you know, in profile, and then it's. I I think they cut a jump cut to rats in the sewer, right? I think that's the film. You know,
1: and, and, and so yeah, that's certainly one of the you know, the ways they dehumanized the Jewish community, but they also uh, attacked Judaism, the faith, the the religion itself. You know, I I did mention, you know, the racial aspect of this, the the racial theory of Jewish identity uh, in Germany, even predating Nazism, but there was an attack on the Jewish religion as well. There was one scene since we mentioned in Purim, uh, tomorrow night is Purim already, There is a a scene of a Purim Suda that is actually it looks like a a pretty authentic looking Hasidish Purim Suda being presented in this film, and then they go on to say, you know, this might look to you to be just a benign religious gathering with uh, that's totally harmless and and, uh, and and perhaps even positive, but you know, the, the evil behind it is that, you know, they're celebrating the the uh, genocide against the Gentiles, you know, they didn't mention that these were people who were ready to kill them uh, for no reason, but, uh, you know, and, and then they go on to compare yeah. also Edeus Metrium, which again, is something that you would think is central to most Christians, the idea of the exodus from Egypt, and yet it's villainized as look at how the Jews, you know, destroyed Egypt, and and uh, and then also the uh, the idea of a Purim costume. Uh, uh, one thing that I know, uh, you know, many uh, scholars have noted the, uh, to be particularly frightening of this film is there was one scene where you present that you know the Jew could hide anywhere; he can he could assimilate, and you won't know that he's a Jew, and yet he still remains this Jew. And, you know, which we, we believe Yisrael, although, you know, we can discuss what that means exactly, but in any event, the, uh, the idea of that, the, the way they demonstrate this in the film, is that they show again, a Hasidish tzura, a veyid with a beard and payas and a rekel and a hat. And then he shaves off the beard and pay us, he puts on a regular suit and tie and, and a, a more stylish hat. And now he's able to fit in and 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 hide who he really is
0: and act uh, as a sleeper agent for his yeah. insidious uh, agenda. You know, again, it's it's obviously, you know, in light of the other German records, which we have, of course, of uh, the ghetto policing and how they sh- took rabbis rabbonim and took them into the center of the square and publicly shaved off their beards and and you can see the tears and how 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 destructive that was you know in other words the germans own records of their extermination really in a way um is the lie shows you know the lie of uh, of of the film you're talking about when you see the images from the Warsaw Ghetto and other places of jews who've had their beard shaved and And you can see the 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 pain on their faces how you know uh, how much it meant for the Sishid and for the Fermidian and for the Lifish to to have their separate identity and to ter- be turned into you know you know a a uh, a shaved skeletal yeah, I mean, shadow the, of what the, they were the,
1: the p s Etzner, he writes something about you know losing the the al you know that's, that's how he described it. In, in, Look, in, there's, there's in no the question
0: about it Yitzhak, the, and in and, and Hollywood, in many ways, although you know most of what we talk about is, is, is films from the United States, you know Hollywood, in many ways um, came out very late in condemnation of what was happening in Germany. Many of the Jewish filmmakers um, and studio heads realized even after Hitler had risen to power, that there was, it was important to make films that could be sent and shown in Germany. And, well, um...
1: there, you know, there, there, there is, there were three, you know, very interesting exceptions to that rule. Two, of the, two of which were were Jewish. You know, there was, uh, I mean, I it's duck soup. It's hard to say, you know, exactly was 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 it really lampooning Hitler or the whole idea of of a of a dictator and things like that? It's it's, uh, but that that would be one of them. But then. Uh, the first one, really directly attacking Hitler, was was the Three Stooges made several shorts which <laughs> Mo Hall said were his most most proud films. Was was his you know there was you Nazi spy and I'll never hail again, and a few others where you know where Mo was lampooning wow. Hitler, and he was very proud of that and then of course Chaplin's the great dictator right but those
0: those films were already made when it was clear that the battle lines had been drawn i'm talking about 1933 Uh, i'm talking about 1933 1934 1935 before hitler's
1: duck
0: duck soup was 33 yeah but there were films that uh, again here's the point there was a Dejudification of many films in the mid 1930s because they did not want to anger um, the German authorities and they wanted, and therefore, uh, many Jewish uh, plot lines, which were very uh, <coughs> rampant in, in the silent era and in the beginning of the sound era, as the Jazz Singer and other films <coughs> indicate. Many of those films, the Jewish presence in them was neutralized in order for the film to be considered palatable overseas, specifically in Germany and places that had been open to Nazi ideology. And that that is already a a fact. And this is one of the great chains of the
1: same thing we're we're experiencing today with China, that we're removing all kinds of things that are even though
0: right right, because we want that again. and, And money is obviously the ultimate uh, uh, you know, issue here about what's going to earn money. A film like uh, Address Unknown was obviously not made, uh, you know, in order to be a great box office <coughs> smash. Um, there were films, even Watch on the Rhine and others, you know, there was an idea that America, and maybe there was money coming in from the government uh, to fund these type of films, uh, but it was important to, to fight uh you know and and, and explain to americans as we've talked about before about why we were sending our children over there to die but i think when we talk about the power of film the germans understood it and so did the moguls in the united states and that's part of the reason why uh their propaganda films and you know you you talk about the 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 film that i feel is much scarier and 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 to me uh, uh really is so unsettling you know is um you know, is it, it, is Lenny Riefenstahl's films, um, Lenny Reifenstahl's films. You know, the Trimes the villains. You know, yeah. and 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 you know, when you see Hitler coming up from out of the sky, I mean, first of all, uh, she is was a, again, she lived. God gave her a tremendous. read yagam. She lived to be over a hundred years old. I don't know if you know that, but she ended up. I mean, these films that she made uh you know she, obviously she was a rashas and she was a willing and wonderful in her mind a collaborator to to the ugliness of 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 everything that was odious and terrible about germany i'm not sure why she was never um you know tried and, and as a war criminal, in fact, because of how powerful she was in terms of what she did. Because these films are masterpieces of cinematography; they're so beautiful, uh, and you can see how the Germans loved these films because it gave them so much pride about Hitler arriving, like this 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 hero coming in from the skies. And of course, the other film that that you know that she made, which is you know the the story of the 1936 Olympics, as you know. Uh, which was held in held in Berlin, and you know she she sort of like you know created the mold for these type of documentaries um and um you know the film really knows how to shoot a scene in a way that um, gives utmost advantage uh to the ideology involved and I think you know people who have made uh propaganda films have used uh, uh recipe for, you know, getting their points across. We know when you're sitting in that theater in the dark, the power of that image. it's mean, part of the reason why we have this program is the hold that films have on you. And that's part of the reason why the Germans were masters at doing that and about, you know, changing their, you know, altering, pushing the needle of their community, which had, as you said, an ugly history underneath it, but clearly stoked to a point of frenzy. And that's what these films are able to do. And I think you're right, that we need to have, we need to keep on seeing these films and realize how we can be affected by those images as well. In other words, when we have these films here-
1: the images we have now, you know, whenever... right. Uh,
0: r- 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 in other words, these films, we don't have to worry about people watching them going to see <laughs> Kyle in the streets. But what we need to see is that, look at how powerful this film is and what it can do. And it could, should be a warning against other types of uh, films of entertainment that are really propaganda that are trying to push another type of agenda, an agenda that's anti what we would call Jewish and Torah values and other things like that. And I think that that's why these films are important to have. I'm not saying that, you know, like you say, to recommend them, oh, I need to watch this. But I I, I think to eliminate them and to not appreciate what Riefenstahl was doing is to not understand the enemy, and not understand the tools of manipulation that are still prevalent today that, that you are very well aware of. Um, right. So uh, I, I I I second your recommendation for keeping them around. Uh, you know, and 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 maybe though Yitzhak, it might be worth to uh, to address the concerns of this Jewish politician that maybe there should be an introduction given by some sort of uh, you know movie maven maybe you you know about why this film is important right
1: well you know even uh, it was the one time i saw schindler's list was when the ford foundation played it on, on i believe on nbc uh without any commercials or anything and it was it was kind of an act of penance for for Henry Ford you know that was why they, <laughs> right. why they, well, they showed yes. it you know it's, uh, yes.
0: well again you know I I, I think we, we, we cannot trust the sophistication of an audience you know that's part of the reason they make these movies is because they know they're going to get lulled into something so it, it probably is worthwhile you know to keep them but maybe with some sort of introduction I want to end tonight with, a, with sort of like a uh, an update of these sort of, you know, the, the films that 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 like like Reisenthal and others that sort of like glorify what the Nazis are about, and, and to indicate how odious um, their system was, and that's 1972's uh, Cabaret, uh, with uh, directed by Bob Fosse, um, is a film that I saw Yitzchak when I was 12 years old uh, with my mom, I believe, because I think it was rated. Was there a PG at the time or GP? I don't know if there was PG at the time. I think it was called GP. Uh, but I believe I went to see I, I, Again, the ratings changed. Remember, there was M. I, I don't have the complete history in front of me, but I know as the, you know, as the Hayes Code got got shunted away and things became the Wild West, the, the rating system was sort of a little bit in flux at the time. So, you know, the, the Cabaret Uh, was a film that was a musical and I love musicals right and I think that might have been my my hook to get my mom to take me but I I, and and, and again I'm I'm sort of perhaps remembering incorrectly because I don't know if I would have gone by myself although it's possible I did I know one thing I was confused about this film when I saw it and I was a pretty you know precocious 12 year old but the film was not what I expected you know, I, I didn't realize that it was going to be really a story about 1930s Berlin and about how uh, a place that seemed to be a lot of fun was actually becoming evil. And that much I saw in the film. I was uh, uh, I, I was smart enough to realize that from the beginning of the film towards the end of the film, you can see how the Nazis um, were originally marginalized. Um, the film is is, is about um, a a cabaret. <laughs> it's about a sort of like a a nightclub and a nightclub singer, and uh, played by Liza Minnelli, who wins the Oscar um, for this film. Um, it also features uh, a, an actor who um, a lot of American Jews sort of love because of his father, um, Joel Grey. His father was Mickey Katz. Yeah. I'm not sure why he couldn't be Joel Katz. I mean, but uh, for some reason he felt that he, you know he, I guess for his career it was better for him to change from Katz to Gray. I don't know exactly why, um, but uh, Joel Gray, like his dad, was a a song and dance man. Um, and in this film, it's probably one of the most unique performances. I mean, Liza Minnelli wins the Oscar as this, um, you know, as a cabaret singer who um, is in. Berlin she's there because she wants to make it as a movie star she's there because she enjoys the decadence she enjoys how uh, you know sleeping around and and you know in the high life and drinking and and all the you know all that 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 uh, parts of the that we know of Nazi Germany uh, that Nazi Germany decried how you know we know Hitler and his and his, his 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 philosophy or his ideas were that the decadence that Germany had found itself in uh, were the byproduct of j- Judaization of Germany, and this was something he was going to stamp out by Hitler Youth, and we're not going to be that way anymore. Um, but the film actually wallows in it, and she seems to thrive in it uh, because she sees it as a fun place and a place to sort of get ahead, even while around her. Uh, the things are crumbling, and human rights and other things are 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 slipping away. Uh, people being beaten in the streets, and and, uh, and and Jews being attacked. Yet you know she is just single-minded about her career. Um, Joel Grey, who plays the MC of the cabaret, uh, has most of the songs. I mean, Eliza sings a couple of the you know obviously cabaret itself and one or two other songs. But Joel Grey is you know he's it's a tour de force for him and um, you know he studied actually German expressionist paintings and old films in order to sort of like he's in this white you know this white face, this pancake makeup but um, he's able to do so much with his facial expressions and the songs themselves are like a Greek chorus um, interpreting and commenting on what is going on. Sally is not only a singer but she's also one of the dramatist persona in the film along with a uh michael york who plays um uh an english intellectual who um you know has uh who is a bisexual as it as it turns out um and uh is a is, is, is obviously the conscious of the film i think it's based on the um the diaries and recollections of christopher isherwood who i think um michael york is supposed to be a stand-in for him because he wrote the story called i am a camera where he was sort of like i'm just going to tell you about what's going on here so he's he really represents the pov of uh, of the person in the movie who is going to watch the movie and michael york is somewhat of a bland actor i remember you know he's not exactly an exciting or particularly handsome or striking person but he does at least radiate um you know, a sense of 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 of, of, of nobility and posit- at least of 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 a belief in humanity. And you know, in one scene that I thought, um, you know, I, I still remember of how when he, um, you know, when he's upset that what's happening, some Nazi uh, roughnecks, um, and he he since he speaks German, he's able to actually curse them out. You don't see them beat him up. You see him, you know, curse him curse the germans and the next scene uh you can see his face being it has been beaten to a bloody pulp i think one of the great things about cabaret other than what it the way it transports you and it was shot on unlike uh, address unknown and, and some of these other films it was shot actually obviously in the 70s in west berlin and um you know the 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 you know, what bob fossey is able to do and again um he and his uh, his camera work and his editors, his his cuts are really you know very very striking. Um, you know you don't see Michael York uh, Brian the character get pummeled, but you see him later, and you can tell you know that that, that he has been beaten to the point that he can't even speak. Um, and whether he was attacked because he was a suspected homosexual or whatever, um, you know at least he stands a somewhat. Uh, of a good guy in the film. Joel Gray, on the other hand, is represents the idea of how art and satire you know, in some ways um, can comment and, and maybe perhaps be uh, a shield against the ugliness of society. But in other ways, in ways that, that were even true to me when I was 12 years old, they seem to be complicit because they're playing to where the money is they're playing to their crowd. In the beginning of the film, the Nazis are made fun of at the cabaret, at the Kit Kat club. But later, the, the Nazi ideology and what they are about seems to be trumpeted in terms of a song that indicates you know, how ugly and terrible the Jews are. And it really it shows you how complicit art can be, how art can be used uh, and media can be used in order to push an idea and how it isn't just the nazis but really the whole society could be blamed including the the artistic parts of that society they cannot absolve themselves for not standing up and allowing themselves to be infected so i think that the film in many ways turns back the clock to events 30 years earlier from when the film was made and points a finger at not only People like you know Sally Bowles, this American who was you know so enraptured by Germany that you know she didn't really realize that uh, to fight against them to actually give in to its allure, but also you know the German society um, cannot absolve themselves uh, for for becoming the this 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 horrible country that 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 allowed this person to come to power and stand behind them. You know, I, I think part of what the film also shows is that, you know, there was, you know, you know I've spoken to you many times, Yitzhak, about how films seem so artificial when you in European countries, everyone's speaking English, and they have to come up with some way to explain, like, to an American audience why English is being spoken when it's a film in Germany. And this film has a little trick in it, too, because the Michael York character is is actually not only a writer, but he learns money tutoring Germans how to speak English. So that really gives an excuse for when they're all together for them to be practicing their English and speaking in English. So this way, you don't have to read subtitles or have actors who are able to actually speak German. And again, it's sort of a trick that that I can understand, but the songs are all in English. And to me, the reason why that can make sense is because you know as well as i do like you have the the the, the group abba which is i think a uh, i think they're from um sweden right <laughs> they, they 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 would sing all their songs phonetically in english because there was something about you know american songs and you know we talk about america being in many ways the leader of the free world but despite the fact that germany had expressionist film and germany had their 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 cinema and their theater the really the great colossal engine was was the United States even then, and the fact that everybody you know all the the songs are in English and that a German audience would want to hear somebody you know belt out a torch song in English indicates how powerful uh, the United States influence was and how American uh, the American uh, you know mindset was and how Germany although they ended up becoming our hated enemies in some ways were fascinated by us. So you know, I, I thought that was also a point that that struck home in terms of yes, we ended up of course fighting a mortal combat with them, but we were extremely close, um, and of course you know the, the, you know, the the pacts that England signed with Germany, um, and the non-aggression pacts and others also showed in a way that there was such cross-pollination. Uh, between these countries, even though what was, was, was going to happen in this country, uh, in Germany, was so was so terrible. Um, I, I think I really have to note uh, about this film, um, and I mentioned you know Joel Gray's uh, performance, and it, it really is something I think unique in, in Hollywood history. Is you know he got the best supporting actor, and it's really you know like, like a very unusual role. But it, it, in a way, you know. A guy sings and dances, so you give him a, a best, you give him an Academy Award. A part of it is because he's sending a message. It's not just like the Nicholas Brothers who would show up in a film and be able to do dance moves that nobody else could do. Um, uh, he in a way is promoting the story, projecting the story, and, and, and through his his facial mannerisms, he is is crucial. I think if you talk about why Liza gets the Oscar um, part of it is the combination of song and speech. You know, we talk about great entertainers. We talk about who is great in being able to entertain. Um, and, and, you know, you've heard these names, it's of course, you know, Sammy, you know, Sammy Davis Jr. Oh, he's just entertainer. Right. That's how I think, you know, people would introduce him in Vegas and in other places. And part of it is because he could sing, he could dance um, and he can act. That was the triple threat. Um, I don't know if you would call Sinatra the one of the greatest entertainers, although he he definitely had his moments in Hollywood. I don't know if you've seen films like him, you know, with you know, Anchors Away and other films where he's actually singing and he's I, doing... I
1: think we spoke about suddenly where, he, where he's where an actor. He didn't sing in that.
0: Oh, that's right. So, but I you know, I, I don't think Sinatra, I think Sinatra himself, you know, would, would admit that he wasn't the all-around entertainer. That uh, Sammy Davis Jr. was, uh, who's sort of like you know, and, and, and I think part of it, although Sinatra could really belt out a, a song, and could really put a, his soul into it, there was something about you know, um, you know, uh, you know, Sammy could could uh, could give you raw energy in his dancing, in his comedy, in his imitations, uh, um, you know, his impressions. And in that way, he sort of was like, in many ways, the total package. Similarly to Sammy, um, Judy Garland, Liza's mother, uh, was promoted in the late 50s and early 60s as the ultimate entertainer. And she, of course, toured Europe uh, and and everywhere and and to really sell out crowds. Um, She had become completely unreliable uh, in, in films because of her her problems with drugs or problems with, you know, you know, again, you know, prescription drugs were you were able to get them like candy at a candy store. And, you know, she hid them everywhere. And, you know, she was, you know, she was constantly, you know, again, her, her story is very tragic. Her marriages and the way, you know, the studio, you know, squashed her and 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 did other things in terms of not letting her live. And, but, you know, she was a, at least not a willing participant. She, you know, she, she was part of that and uh, she allowed herself those excesses that made her completely unreliable. But then she really had a career um, as, you know, as a singer and she would come to the Palladium and to the other places and you know, people, when they heard her sing, like call Yes. But you know, this is a call beyond Colisha. You know, you could have a girl sing and say, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm falling in love with that girl. When, 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 when Judy Garland sings, when she sings, and again, you know, you, you could just listen to the man that got away from, from the Star is Born, which, you know, was one of her, you know, the vehicles where many people she was robbed by the Oscar. You know, it, it, could, it sends chills down your, your, your spine because she is inhabiting the words, the music, uh, and she's pushing it to places that, that, that other people aren't able to. And that's really, I think, the total package.
1: I think, I think when you, when you mentioned Sammy Davis Jr.,
0: I, there's something in many people's minds an ultimate performer because she also was she wasn't a dancer, uh, but she could sing and and act as, as as shown in Mary Poppins and and other films. My, so my my
1: wife performed with her, and she said that uh, she said that that she wasn't acting in uh, in Mary Poppins that, that or or in Sound of Music. That's just who who she is, but. Uh, yeah. Well she, uh, she said that uh however in uh what was it Victor Victoria? That that was that's where she really proved herself.
0: Yeah, well again, that is a film that might make it on our <laughs> on our recommendations. Uh but I would say, you know, you know, cabaret is similar to Victor Victoria. By the way, Victor yeah. Victoria shares a lot of ideas of 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 cabaret, although cabaret is uglier. Cabaret is a musical that for people who hate musicals, because You know, um, it's very similar that all the musical numbers are on the stage. uh, And in a way, they comment, you know, Blake Edwards definitely owes Fosse a a debt of gratitude for what he did in Cabaret. But, you know, Victor Victoria ends up being a screwball comedy, um, highlighting some of the funniness of what Europe was like, as opposed to the terror of what Europe was like, you know, so, you know, Victor, Victoria, you know, you sort of wonder, okay, you know, okay, here's Europe, you know, in, in, you know, in this period before the war, and you don't really get that, that shadow that you get from Cabaret. And I think that's the shadow that stays with you. Um, You know, even while, and that's really my point here about great entertainers. I think that, you know, to me, I have no no way to back this up i don 't know you know it 's hard to go into what was in the minds of the academy, but it seems to me that part of the reason why Liza wins the Oscar is because people saw her as judy's you know um, she was in a way downloading Judy she was in a way um uh, uh, t- you know funneling Judy into her in, into what she was doing you know because when you see her there's such there's such a similarity. Uh, obviously, you know, in many, you can tell the difference between them, but there's such a, you know, in terms of the voice, in terms of the lilt of the face. So so I really think part of what Hollywood was doing was by by awarding this was in a way recognizing, um, you know, uh, what Judy Garland was. And that's sort of, you know, it, it, I know I, it's sort of a coming out of left field, but, you know, I don't know who else was up for the award, but I think that's part of what people believed was important was just don't act but but be the total performer um, your your song and your speech can you put it all together like that was sort of like the decathlon right are you able to do all those 10 things can you do that are you are, are you able to put that all together and, and in each way you know hit the hit the highest note and and when you sing do you rip your can, can I hear your soul coming out You know, when you say, you know, I made my mind way up, way back in Chelsea. When I go, I'm going like Elsie, right? Like when you say that, do you realize, you know, yes, I'm determined that I'm going, I'm I'm marching to my destiny, even though it means I'm selling my soul, even though it means I'm selling everything good about myself. Um, She's not evil. But in many ways, she is the wounded victim that I think was, even though her mother uh, had not yet died, Bowles Liza Minnelli equals Judy, and I think that was part of um, the reason why people were were fascinated. And and I have to tell you, even watching it as, as someone who you know, you know you 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 still see her, you still see her. Uh, again, Liza didn't make much afterwards. You know, she was in the in the um, the Arthur films, and she became sort of a um, she she unfortunately just like her mom, she ends up marrying numerous times and ends up being herself uh you know a drug addict and an alcohol addiction or being in the Betty Ford clinic or whatever it is and having the same issues that her mom did in terms of having weight issues and and hating herself and hating her body image <laughs> it, it's really in many ways as you know we look at these actors and actresses these these vessels it's <laughs> like and you know it, it's 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 so sad when you read the you know what happens to them. You know, they 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 burst upon the scene in a flash of of greatness and they somehow wrap us up in 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 their acting performance and they they move us. And then when we read up about them, we see how shallow so many of their lives were, how troubled they were, how how facile they were, that when they didn't have screenwriters writing for them, um, you know, they could barely put a sentence together. So um I, I think it's a muster schmooze as well to to sort of check 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 these people out and realize that they you know there's a gift that they have that they can stir something perhaps noble within us, but we have to realize that uh, this is ultimately a world that that has right, it's like, there's there's more roadkill in this. I mean you get to see some of it in, in when you visit, you know, in, in your when you go to the monster bash, but there's a lot more roadkill than there are success stories, I think. No? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. You see you see it
0: uh... have a happy Purim. Um <laughs>
1: may happy all happy. your like have a Purim feel that that's
0: <laughs> Right. That's somehow look, you know, if it's you know, yeah, you know, if, if if you end up, you know, like like okay, you know, if if maybe if you want your um you, you want your your Akhshavayerish stuff, you know, to sound like <laughs> to sound a little bit like Wallace Beery or or Jimmy <laughs> Stewart, um, and you might hum on you might, might you know somehow I think uh, somehow I think if I would have someone you know the hum on. I think there's. I think Lionel Barrymore would definitely be a. Yeah, he could be. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Lionel Barrymore would be too old to play Hallman. I guess uh, maybe more. Maybe David Warner, as we talked about the other day, or, um, or Edward G. Robinson in his in his in his prime, or uh, that might have been somebody. But you no, know, whatever whatever you use, I, I, I Yeshiva boy Edward G. Robinson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a, He spoke a good Yiddish. You know, he was in the yeah, Yiddish, Yiddish theater. all right yeah yeah all right it's we shall see you hopefully next time take care everyone watch your step on the way out we'll catch you next time thanks for joining us for another episode from the yeshiva of new work at idt podcast be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode